Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch. Sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. What I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead. And by shining a light on those doing it well today, my hope is that more women will find their own voice. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco, and it's so great to be back with all of you. And we have another wonderful show for you this week. I am very honored to have with me Natalie Ganella Platts, who is the Director of Women's Initiatives for the George W. Bush Institute. Um, We're going to have a lot to discuss in just a moment. As always, be sure to stay with us during the breaks, where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of on-air contributors. And as we continue to expand our watch team and move into new markets, we're always looking for women to be a part of the show. If you'd like to learn more, feel free to email laura at womentowatch.net. That's L-A-U-R-A at women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. And if you miss any of the live shows, you can always catch the podcast wherever you listen by searching Women to Watch Media. So now, again, I'm thrilled and excited to welcome to the show, Natalie Ganella Platts. Natalie, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much, Sue. It's such an honor to join you today. I was so um, thrilled that you were able to kind of join us uh, kind of last minute. This wasn't um, planned far out as we typically do. Um, so I, I'm grateful that you have the time to 
join us and tell us a little bit about your life story. And um, the first thing I wanted to ask you, whenever I hear Buffalo, New York, I think myself, like everyone else, thinks, oh, my gosh, it's so cold. How did she survive it? So tell me a little bit about the community that you grew up in. What was that like? This is a fantastic first question because for anyone who knows anyone from Buffalo, in addition to the intense winters, you will know that we are immensely prideful of where we come from because we're always the underdog, right? Like we've never won a national championship in anything. It's freezing cold (laughs) in the winter. But, you know, there's such an incredible sense of community here. We're known as the city of good neighbors, the clean city an all-America city, and we're just really prideful of that, right? And and we're a Rust Belt city, and so there's a real sense of affinity. And, you know, it's like six degrees of, of Kevin Bacon here, right? Like, everyone <laughs> knows everyone else. And if you're, you know, on vacation halfway around the world, probably within two connections, someone you meet knows someone from Western New York. And, and they will also say just how prideful that contact is about where they come from. And What I love about where I'm from is just the authenticity and the character of it. You know, we're we're diehard Bills fans. Um, We are highly defensive of our city. We have a strong sense of family values. Um, You know, I grew up playing outside, and yes, I learned to ski, but we also have beautiful summers here um, on the shores of Lake Erie and Lake Ontario, and it's just this incredible place that we very much want to keep a secret because increasingly more and more people are moving here. But I couldn't have asked for a better childhood. I couldn't ask for a better sense of community to grow up in. And um, it's something that for those of us who leave the area, you know, we carry carry with us. And, you know, my colleagues joke that when I'm ready to retire someday, you know, I should I should go and join the the Western New York Tourism Board because I just you know, <laughs> talk about everything I love about Buffalo all the time. But it's wow. made me so much of who I am. Wow. Do you you know, you must have an incredible network there then um, in a tight knit community like that. Do you find you're able to tap into that for um, professional reasons? Absolutely. I think both professional and and personal reasons, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I am so grateful. I went to, in my undergrad, a very small liberal arts school that was part of the State University of New York system. And we have this fantastic university system in New York where there's lots of small colleges, community colleges. We also have large universities, but they're all part of the SUNY system. And, and for me, you know, when I was starting my professional journey, I'm, I'm so grateful for my professors and, and um, the university uh, services that are available to students at Fredonia because it really set the trajectory of where I you know, began to go in my career. And, and going to a small college really opened up a lot of opportunities that I think people overlook. Um, likewise, you know, if you're, you're, you're looking to get into a certain sector or you know, you're looking to make an or, uh, organizational connection, Someone knows someone, right? And they're mm-hmm. always happy to connect you. Um, right. And again, we all carry that sense of authenticity with us, which I think is so incredibly important. Um, but it's been important to me, too, to remember to pay it forward as well. Um, so, you know, have been trying to give a lot of thought to how I can also give back to the community I came from and that made such an impression on me. Yeah. You know, we it's it's so true, the, the statement about, business is people. And, you know, at the end of the day, that's how things um, get done. Um, Making those really authentic 
uh, connections and relationships with people. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about was was your grandmother. And I just love the fact that she started uh, a candy shop, her own business in 1946 and also a union um, when she worked for a larger uh, producer. And any woman who was doing that kind of um, entrepreneurial work in 1946 is is a mentor. Tell me about her and, and the kind of impact she had on you as a leader. So my grandma, my great-grandmother, Theodora Eddington, who was fondly knows, known to us all as Grandma Farm, um, because summers were affectionately spent on her farm, was just a spitfire in every sense of the word. And, you know, she in so many ways was ahead of her time. Um, she actually separated from my great-grandfather um, in, you know, the early part of the 20th century, which was unheard of in those times. Mm -hmm. um, she started a business um, and she was very adamant about the status of women um, and, and her union that she started before she founded her own, her own candy store um, was to address some of the inequities that existed. The fact that women were, were paid less and the conditions they were working with under weren't always um, the, the, the most beneficial to the staff there. And, you know, when she kind of had enough of it, she started her own candy shop, which still is in existence to this day. It's actually a play on her her name and her business partner's name, which um, ironically was co-ed. Um, so her business partner was male, but you know it was this male-female partnership. And it, it was such uh, an emblem in South Buffalo. Um, and to this day, they still continuously um, top the list of best uh, sponge candy producers um, in the region, and sponge candy is a very, uh, a very uh, well-known chocolate confection that that we attribute to to this part of New York. But you know, she she was the type of person, like so many um, of those who came from from the older generations who lived through the Great Depression and World War II and whatnot. You know, she just got it done and mm -hmm. nose to the grindstone, and you know, she can make a meal out of, you know whatever was in her pantry and she lived to be 93 years old um, and just was incredible and, and really proud of her family. And she is, is you know, the head of um, a long line of very strong women um, across, across my family. Well, you must have some of her in you. And um, I think it's always so interesting to look back at ancestors and see which traits, you know, we carry forward. We're going to go into our first break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, the rest of your family members and how, as uh, many first responders um, in your family, that that impacted you during the pandemic. Stay with us, and I'll be back with Natalie Ganella Platts, the director of the Women's Initiative at the George W. Bush Institute. Stay tuned for our watch team. Now, the Women to Watch Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Summer's here. Kids are riding bikes, playing sports, swimming. So, what do you do when your 12 year old slides into home plate and gets a deep, dirty cut in his hand? your six-year-old hits a bump and flies over the handlebars. Add to that, it's after hours or a weekend. Today on Your Radio Doctor, we heard from Dr. Courtney Nelson. She practices pediatric emergency medicine at Nemours A.I. DuPont Hospital for Children in Wilmington and at Bryn Mawr Hospital. The big question, 
Do I take my child straight to the emergency room or is urgent care more convenient? Maybe I'll just call the pediatrician in the morning. Some cases clearly need the emergency room. Then you ask, is it safe for you to drive or should you call 911 immediately so trained professionals can begin treatment on the way to the hospital in cases like your child stops breathing or turns blue or is having the first seizure, they lose consciousness after a fall, a broken bone is sticking through the skin, choking, a large cut with uncontrollable bleeding. Maybe you can drive if the child has trouble breathing, fever with a stiff neck, they've ingested a poison, a drug, an unknown substance, a head injury with vomiting, or a serious burn. Call your pediatrician for a case of ear pain, a rash, maybe you can take advantage of telehealth. Dehydration, make sure your child urinates or has a wet diaper at least once every eight hours. A high fever, probably can wait, but come to the emergency room immediately with fever in a child under age two months. Learn what to do if your child has a head injury. A deep cut in the hand or foot may need stitches and a check for tendon damage. A cut on the lip or face may need a plastic surgeon. Won't find that in urgent care. After a fall, wait for EMTs to move the child in case of neck or spine injury. Learn more when you listen to the show on yourradiodoctor.net. Divas, always be prepared. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso of Pathways Consulting Group. With so much future opportunity in the technology industry, getting girls interested at an early age without forcing it on them is key. To foster a love for something, you need to make it a part of everyday life. To do this, you need to spark a young girl's interest in STEM activities. It's critical to let them play with objects and ideas to help them see that there's more than one way to get to a solution. And by playing games and puzzles, it increases their ability to recognize and understand patterns and association of things. Using their imagination leads to original thinking and ability to generate multiple solutions to problems. With summer here, maybe this year you're planning a staycation or maybe you're planning a trip to the beach, regardless of what you're doing or where you do it. There's lots of activities you can introduce to all ages of girls. Everything from building explosive sandcastles to building robots. Here are a few great websites and products to investigate. Yellowscope has STEM kits for different age groups and can be found on Amazon. They have kits as low as $25. LearningResources.com makes awesome early learning STEM toys. I especially like their STEM toy, Botly, the coding robot geared to ages 5 and up. Little bits are electronic modules that snap together with magnets and are color-coded, turning ideas into little inventions. Their kits can also be found on Amazon. And recently, I found a website, steampoweredfamily.com. They have so many inexpensive ways to capture the attention of girls and boys of all ages. I especially like their project called Circuit Bugs. By using pipe cleaners and circuits, you can make little bugs that light up. It's up to us to encourage and nurture the future women technologists, and starting at an early age is key. If you have other ideas you'd like to share or would like more information, email me at mary at pathwayscg.com. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to the show. I'm joined by Natalie Ganella Platts, the director of the Women's Initiative at the George W. Bush Institute, which I think is probably one of the coolest jobs ever. Um, and we will talk about, you know, the, the work that you're doing. A little bit more about your background. Many of your family members um, are first responders, you shared with me. And I would imagine that going through the pandemic, 
um, has been difficult for people for, for many different reasons. But how did that impact your view on those folks who really had, you know, were at greatest risk during this really difficult year and a half? Thank you, Sue. I always have to give a shout out to, you know, my mom, my sister-in-law, my sister, my brother, um, my brother-in-law, who all in different capacities serve as first responders. And, you know, so proud of them and so many who stepped up um, amid, you know, the last year and a half with everything going on in terms of, of the pandemic. You know, for me, as someone who worked a, a step removed from from um, service to others, um, I've always so appreciated how selfless they have been. And I think the pandemic has really demonstrated the importance of our shared humanity and, and our sense of community. And I have been especially impressed with just how women especially have stepped up. Um, you know, they're the majority of our, our frontline health workers. And at the same time, there's so many of those who who took on the um, the additional um, needs at home to homeschool and to care for older relatives. And I think that was really apparent, you know, both in a, in a macro sense, but I saw it very much in, in my family. Um, you know, my mom, my sister, my sister-in-law all work in a, in a hospital capacity as nurse practitioners. And, you know, just seeing how, how much, much like my grandmother, they had this get it done attitude just, just mm. to serve. And it was their job. It's what they signed up for. But at the same time, too, you know, understanding my role um, as a member of our family and how I could be supportive of, of them and, and just checking in to see how they were doing and, and making sure they had what they needed and, you know, sending little care packages, um, things like, you know, really nice hand creams because the amount of hand sanitizer and times they wash their hands, their hands were, were raw. Right. Um, and, and for me, it was... And I think a lot of people in similar situations who felt a bit um, unable to help, right, because you don't have the skills or the capacity to do so, there were small ways we could be supportive of them as they did so much for, for all of us. Um, and, and I think that experience really um, made me think a lot about, you know, going forward, how we can better support our first responders and, and, and the work that I do every day at the Bush Institute in terms of women and gender equity, thinking about how many women are very much on the front lines of, of what happened in this pandemic and what happened in so many other, um, you know, crazy situations, right? Um, right. And, and this one in particular, from healthcare workers to essential workers, they were majority women. And there are a lot of inequities that still persist in our society. And women do not let us down. And so how can we all be better in supporting them as they carry forward our, our communities and, and our societies? Yeah, you know, it's interesting to me. We're we're so used to women um, stepping up and being nurturers and the caretakers. We have to remind ourselves to help the helpers, right? Help the helpers because if they're not, uh, you know, working at their best uh, and that they're not well, then um, you know they won't be able to help as as many people as they want. Uh, one of the things I thought was interesting about your story, Natalie, was that you always seem to have an interest in world affairs, you know, even when you were young. And that's not typical. I think, you know, growing up, most kids, boys and girls, are pretty much centered around their own little um, unit that, you know, in their own community and town. Where did that interest in world affairs come from? 
You know, it's so interesting because Buffalo, New York, right, is kind of tucked away in the very western part of New York State. Um, but so, you know, it's not like, aside from the Canadian border, right, it's not like we live in this very exotic locale. But I grew up in a household um, with parents who very much encouraged my interest and was always intrigued with what was going on in the world. And, you know, going back to, again, my, my time spent during my um, tertiary education at a, at a small university, as well as just my mom being so incredibly supportive of how we each, you know, marched to our own beat, um, you know, gradually built on that. And, and by the time I was 22, you know, convinced my mom to let me go abroad for graduate school where I was able to immerse myself um, in a classroom setting that had so much diversity and representation from fellow students all around the world and talking about the, the most pressing issues of our day. And I was a senior in high school when September 11th happened. And I think that that was hugely formative to really starting to organize the pieces and, and the interests I had about what was happening around the world. And what's interesting, and I'm, I'm so proud of the work we do at the Bush Institute, is the fact that what happens around the world matters to us here at home. You know, I, I was interested in that from an early age, but, but we all should, should have an interest in what's going on, you know, beyond our own borders and, and how that makes a difference on, on peace and prosperity everywhere. Yeah, I, I really want to talk to you about exactly that. <clears throat> Excuse me, when we come back, we have to go into an, our next break. Um, but I think that, you know, people often feel they can only handle what's happening in their own community. How can they be concerned about, you know, world affairs? And I want to get your take on that when we come back. Stay with us as I continue my interview with Natalie Ganella platz director of the Women's in- excuse me Initiative at the George W. Bush Institute. Stay with us for our watch team. We'll be right back. Now, the Women to Watch, Military Watch. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. Now, June 6th is not just another lovely summer day. It is a significant day in our nation's military history as we recognize the 70. 70- this is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The seventh anniversary of D-Day, I'm always amazed by the extensive levels of planning effort, leadership, and bravery that it took to pull off the largest seaborne invasion in history. For those who might not be as familiar with D-Day's magnitude, here's a quick lesson. Under the codename Operation Overlord, the World War II battle that we know as D-Day began on June 6, 1944 with a combined naval, air, and land assault on Nazi-occupied France. The assault included 5,000 ships, 11,000 airplanes, and over 150,000 servicemen. Under General Dwight D. Eisenhower, who was the Supreme Commander of Allied Forces in Europe and the leader of the D-Day invasion, more than 150,000 American, British, and Canadian troops landed on the five beaches along France's Normandy region. D-Day was just the start of a long and deadly campaign that ultimately made it clear to Germany that defeat was inevitable. 
Though the end of the war was still a year away, most historians agree that D-Day signaled the beginning of the end of World War II and the collapse of Nazi Germany. The eventual victory came, though, at a great cost. When it was over, the Allied forces had suffered nearly 10,000 casualties with 4,414 war dead. To honor this ultimate sacrifice, the National D-Day Memorial in Bedford, Virginia has enshrined the 4,414 names of every Allied soldier, sailor, airman, and Coast Guardman who died that day. The memorial, which was first unveiled 20 years ago, was initiated by D-Day veteran Bob Slaughter. He made it his mission to advocate for a memorial to provide an enduring reminder of the price that must be paid for freedom. So if you ever get a chance to visit the memorial, you'll see a beautiful structure that encompasses more than 50 acres of land at the base of the Blue Ridge Mountains. In the meantime, you can virtually visit that and learn more about D-Day by visiting www.dday.org. Hi, Sue Rocco here, host of Women to Watch. Are you a fan of the show? If so, be sure to sign up for our podcast at womentowatch.net so you never miss a show and can listen on your own time. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. Now, the Women to Watch, Nonprofit Watch. Good evening, Women to Watch listeners. I am Cheryl Mackey, Lead of Financial Empowerment at United Way of Greater Philadelphia and Southern New Jersey. Here at United Way, we have the awesome privilege of working with many nonprofit agencies that are doing great work in the area. It is my mission to connect you, our listeners, with those agencies, maybe to support or to connect those within the community who can benefit from their service. This month, I will be highlighting Uplift Solutions and You Lift You in celebration of Men's Health Awareness Month. In addition, since we are in graduation season, Congratulations, by the way, to all who have and will graduate this month. I will share some information concerning the Lubert College Savings Account Program and our partner, Utility Emergency Services Fund. When you hear about the phenomenal work being done, please share it with your network, and together, let's get the word out. That's it for tonight. I am Cheryl Mackey, and thanks for listening. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Natalie, just before the break, you had made a mention of, you know, why it's important for for all of us to care about world affairs. And I think that often um, people may, it may not be a selfish reason, they just feel overwhelmed that, you know, they have enough on their plate worrying about their family and their own community. Talk a little bit about, you know, what you feel our obligation is to not only pay attention to what's happening in other countries, but to, you know, try to contribute and do something about it. Well, as I said before, you know, what happens around the world matters to us here at home. And that's a big part of the work we do at the Bush Institute in terms of our um, global engagement. And, you know, I'm going to talk about this in the context of gender equity specifically. And, And you point out, you know, women were always meant to lead. And so the work we do is to support women and girls who are leading change in their communities and countries. And at the end of the day, if inequity exists, if lack of freedoms, lack of agency exists anywhere, you know, that that ladders back to our status in the United States as well. You know, we all benefit when people have an opportunity to thrive in their local community, wherever that may be. 
But at the end of the day, there are a lot of places where people are just trying to survive. Um, and, and for us, you know, the pandemic especially, I think, has demonstrated how important global engagement is and how important U.S. leadership abroad is. Um, because what is global is local and what is local is global. Um, you know, there are a lot of events going on right now. Um, for example, you know, our work for a long time is focused on the status of women and girls in places like Afghanistan. Um, and with, you know, changes to U.S. engagement there, the, the rights and well-being of, of women and girls in that country um, is an important litmus test for how the future of that country will continue to evolve. And when you look at the correlations between societies that are free and fair, societies that are democratic and peaceful, and how gender equity exists within those communities, you know, there you see a country that is prosperous or you see a country that is, that is not prosperous. You know, Mrs. Bush often says, when you see a country where half the population is left out, you see a failed state. And, you know, you ladder back to what happened 20 years ago with September 11th, you can see directly how the status of women thousands of miles away makes a difference to our safety, security, and prosperity here in the United States. Um, and this so tell, is true in so many instances. Right. So here, you know, tell me, when I think of a country like Afghanistan, it's not so much um, the work that you're doing, whether it's, you know, helping around education, providing resources, helping entre female entrepreneurs. There's so much that needs to be done to change the mindset of, of the society there, that to me is the toughest. You know, what is working when it comes to that? What have you seen? So I think in terms of what's working, whether we're talking about Afghanistan, whether we're talking about the status of young women, adolescent girls in places like Sub-Saharan Africa, or whether we're talking about gender equity in our own country um, here in the United States, is the approaches that take into context the holistic well-being of communities at large, right? And it's not just about education. It's not just about economic opportunity. It's not just about addressing gender-based violence, but understanding where those intersections exist. And we still have a lot of work to do in terms of breaking down the silos between the issues, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of hope taking place. You know, I, I think of programs like um, the DREAMS program, which is a, a, a program from, from PEPFAR and, and the U.S. State Department that really looks at all of these holistic um, elements that, that contribute to the well-being of, of young women and adolescent girls in places like Sub-Saharan Africa, and understanding that if we can prevent their exposure to things like HIV and gender-based violence from the outset, they have a greater opportunity to fulfill their potential, and that has a knock-on effect to how their community can grow and prosper. And when you think about you know, some of these regions of the world, where half of their population is under the age of 20 or even under the age of 18, like that makes a difference. And so we need more of that. We need more investments, more advocacy, more action around really the holistic well-being of individuals. And this is imperative, um, especially for, for women and girls, um, because you can move forward on education, you can move forward on economic opportunity, but if you're not addressing all of the intersecting barriers, you're only gonna get so far. Right. You know, um, Natalie, the work that you're doing, you see some of the most horrific 
things that can happen to girls and women. And I was curious how you manage your own psyche around that. You know, those of us who are here in the United States and, and you know, those day-to-day issues are not, nowhere near in our realm of thinking. How do you stay hopeful? Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think um, it, 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 it's, it's difficult, um, more difficult at, at, at certain points in dealing with certain things. But I, I have to give a lot of credit to my mom here. You know, my mom in her career spent um, a, a good chunk of it working on issues like sexual violence and sexual assault. And she dealt with some really heavy things. And this, she did this work at, during a very formative time in my life. I was a teenager, right? And, and just seeing how she made sure to have balance between professional and, and, and personal uh, responsibilities and, and well-being. And that's really hard. But I, but I know that I'm a better advocate. I know that I, am, I can contribute more fully when I have that balance. And, you know, I try to channel that um, into the work that, that I do. It, I will say it's very hard to shut off, um, mm-hmm. but it means that the work matters. And, you know, every day to use the platform we have through our work at the Bush Institute to, you know, channel my passion and, you know, the fire in my belly to to creating a more equitable vision of our society keeps me going. And I have to make sure that, you know, balance exists within my own life because I am I am a better contributor when when. you know, my holistic well-being um, yes. is, is as cared a, for. As a self-proclaimed uh, classic type A overachiever, <laughs> oh, <you're so> <laughs> are, you, are, are you working on that? Are you better today than you were when you were younger? Where do you fall uh, in yeah. that? You know, and I think for a lot of us, the, this past year and a half with the pandemic has, has you know, for me has been a, a period of self-growth. And I think for a lot of, a lot of other people and understanding that, both my type A tendencies are both an asset and a challenge and to, you know, work on those challenges, but also leverage those assets. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard. And I've, I've learned along the way um, just how important that balance has been. And I'm so grateful for, you know, my, my immediate family now as well, my husband, my son, because they help, they help anchor me and they help me, you know, keep north and 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 moving forward um but i'm not gonna lie it's not always easy and you know events that are going on around the world um sometimes require more of your time and more of your attention and more of your passion but that's why we need more people um who who are signed on to you know our shared goals of women and leadership and, and gender equity at large. Exactly, exactly. Listen, we're going to go into our last break. And when we come back, I really want to dive into the work that you're doing, some programs you're you're excited about, you know, within the Institute and talk a little bit about President George Bush, if you've had interaction with him and um, anything you can share, any little personal tidbits. Um, stay with us. I'll continue my conversation with Natalie Ganella Platts, and we will be right back. Coming up next is our Coach's Corner podcast, which is a shorter version of our weekly show and can be heard wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm BJ Gray with this week's Coach's Corner. 
I love frameworks for everything I do. They give me something to follow in order to achieve a goal or build foundations for new things I'm learning. And when I was learning how to expand my leadership style, to not only be able to understand the business world, but to lead a culture that thrived, I needed a framework to establish a more thoughtful leadership style. And that started with leading myself in a more authentic way. A self-awareness framework is what I developed. Know my personal story and how it shapes me. Know what triggers me. Know how to reflect and watch my thoughts that create my perception. Know my damaging habits that hold me back or my sabotaging behaviors. Know how to re- how not to retreat into my story. Know strategies for negative emotions and self-management. And know the power of my emotions and how to use them as a guidepost. If this framework piques your interest and you want help with your leadership transformation, then get in touch and sign up for an appointment with me at bjgray.com. Thanks for listening to this edition of Coach's Corner. Connect with me directly on LinkedIn or at bjgray.com. Until next time, I'm BJ from Coach's Corner. Now more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to the show. I'm, I'm so honored to have with me Natalie Ganella Platts, the director of the Women's Initiative at the George W. Bush Institute. And Natalie, I wanted to you know give you time to talk about what are you working on right now that you're excited about and give our listeners a real sense of, of the type of job you have. You know, what does a typical day look like for you? It's a great question. I, and I, have the most incredible job in, in the world and um, you know our our work through the women's initiative is focused on supporting women and girls who are leading change in their communities and countries and so we have programming for example that supports women leaders in places like the Middle East North Africa and Afghanistan who are seeking to address um, economic opportunity and economic inequity um, at macro and micro levels because we know that lack of opportunity is such a such an issue and such a contributor to to broader instability. I also have the distinct privilege of working directly with first ladies from around the world um, who, you know, are using their platform really as an apolitical conduit to bring together civil society and government institutions around really important issues, Um, things like gender-based violence, things like access to secondary education, um, you know, broader issues of gender gender inequality um, in, in their countries. And in addition to that, you know, we have this incredible platform as the Bush Institute to be able to um, contribute to ideas and, and to help shape policy that um, seeks to give everyone an opportunity to fulfill their potential. So, you know, writing op-eds and, and doing fantastic research projects and, and using um, the, the podium that we have to make sure that the representation of lived experiences of those who have unique experiences or facing unique challenges are seen and heard by those who have um, the influence to contribute and invest the resources that are needed to make a difference. Um, so our work is, is really varied. It's very global in nature in terms of the women's initiative. We also do a lot of cross-collaboration with other areas of engagement at the Institute, things like looking at um, uh, women's economic empowerment in, in our country here in the United States and also thinking about gender-based violence and its its influence on um, immigration and, you know, what we're seeing on our southern border right now um, in terms of what women are experiencing in places like 
Central America and, and the Northern Triangle of Central America. So, you know, every day we get to work on some of the world's most pressing challenges and, and, and encourage collaboration and, and good ideas um, and, and progress to really push the needle forward for women and girls everywhere. One of the things I thought was interesting um, that you did, you you co-authored a first-of-its-kind analysis on global first ladies. And I thought that was really neat because, you know, there's not always the title of it, a role without a rule book, right? So here's all these women who have, a, you know, a, um, an opportunity to be influential. And when I read about that, I wanted to ask you how important do you think it is for men to be supportive and be a part of all of the initiatives around women's empowerment and leadership? Women or Men and women are so incredibly important together in moving the needle forward in terms of equity for all. Um, and what's so interesting about our First Ladies' work, one, it's just an incredible privilege, and that report was such an honor to contribute to. I got to interview and profile 14 current and former First Ladies from around the world to help influence um, our, our First Ladies' initiative work. But this role of a First Lady is a larger characterization of of the challenges and, and, and status of women more broadly. And, you know, these women have a very narrow margin of error. And if they overstep or evade that, they hear about it. And how we treat men and, dif- men and women in this role is, is very different. And so just as important as it is to have influential women, um, you know, pushing against uh, the inequities that exist, we need men too, because we're, it, it takes all of us. Um, to get to a better state of equal, a true state of equal. And, and we have to confront antiquated ideas of, of gender norms. And women cannot do that on our own. You know, it's taken us, you know, 100 years since the 19th Amendment to get to this point, and we still have a yeah. long way to go. Um, yeah. And men are a big part of how we move forward. Natalie, are you ever concerned about your own safety in that you're bringing these programs and these opportunities to women in places where there is um, discrimination and violence. Is that ever a concern for you? Well, first and foremost, I have to say the safety and well-being of our program participants and our partners is is front of mind. I also have to add, you know, the places I have had the privilege to travel to, the people I've had the opportunity to work with, have welcomed us and have been the most incredible extended community I could ever ask for. And so in my role too, confronting some of the, the bias that may exist about um, certain parts of the world and also to be able to, to present to people just the innovation and the progress and the prosperity that is happening often at community levels is so important to our work. And again, I mentioned that platform before, you know, wherever possible, we like to give voice and visibility to those who are really pushing against um, some of the prejudice and the inequities that that persist, whether that be in terms of gender, or that be in terms of, you know, thinking about different parts of the world. Yeah, I, I they must be so incredibly grateful. And, and your work is so rewarding. I, I wish you continued success, Natalie, and I hope you'll stay in touch with us. Absolutely. You, you know, I, I have to say I'm so incredibly grateful for our partners and, and it is a true privilege, the work we, we carry forward together. And it has been a true privilege to join you on this fantastic program. So I look forward to staying in touch. 
Thank you so much. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Thank you for being with me, and stay tuned next week for my interview with author of the She Book, Tanya Markle. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHD or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.